Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Happy New Year, everyone. It's a new week, a new set of episodes, or actually, personally, a one episode, episode 223 of Cinematics. We are bringing in the new year, this is the year being 2024, with some interesting resolutions. I'm assuming there's some resolutions. Co-host Eric Holmes, do you believe in resolutions, or do you have any goals for you personally this year for 2024 uh after some of the movies we watched this week i think my new uh resolution is i'm just gonna start bailing on movies <laughs> you're gonna start bailing on movies uh-oh i think that's a reference to one of the movies we're covering this week two or two or maybe two <laughs> movies uh-oh we'll we'll see what eric is going to be thinking on this episode bruce berkey any resolutions for 2024 well, I already will bail on a movie if it's too bad and two and a half hours long. But um, no, I don't really have any resolutions this year. I was thinking about doing the Criterion Challenge, but I don't know if I have the gumption to do that. So, What, what is that? It's, I saw someone post something about the Criterion Challenge. It, it's You can look it up. I mean, there, there's a link on there. Whoever posted it has a link, and it's like... 52 different things so you basically do a thing each week there's different like one week it'll be pick something from number 400 to 500 on the criterion list and another one might be pick one from the 70s pick one from the 60s that kind of thing oh interesting yeah i've had i've had criterion as far as the streaming channel the criterion channel quite a while but due to the lack due to the number of movies we, we cover every week i'm always behind i'm never watching stuff on criterion or any of the streaming services that we have bruce when's the last time you used shutter do you still use shutter on occasion yeah i i still try to sneak in a movie not necessarily from shutter but i try to sneak in one or two things a week if possible that are just either a catch-up watch or just a watch for fun with the kids or something like that. And I did one this week, which is one I recommend. So yeah, I, I'd say I still get in there pretty often. And then I'm trying to watch, my wife doesn't like to watch movies with me, so I'll watch TV series with her. So I'm usually watching one to two TV series at a time per week okay. too. And right now you really like Slow Horses, right? You, you highly recommend Slow Horses. Is that the name of the series? Slow Horses is great. If you have been missing Gary Oldman, it's some of the best work he's ever done. It's just a great character. He's somewhere between a, a drunken, foul-mouthed, has-been, MI, what are they, MI5, MI6 uh, mm -hmm. operator. So basically Slow Horses are like the, <laughs> we'll go through the mini <laughs> review here, but they're like the outcasts of the secrets, the uh, 007 types, right? They're the outcasts in London. They all get thrown to this house called, what do they call it? Slow house, Slough house. And he's like the head of them. So he's like the head miscreant, basically. <laughs> Every season, you know how most BBC series, they have like five or six episodes. That's about it. And they have, uh, I think, three seasons now. And each one is pretty great. Uh, the characters are not safe, which is always good in a TV series when you know there's actual stakes. And his character is just constantly drunk, constantly farting, constantly barely washed. Just he has some of the most foul put downs on his co-workers and the people he's against. But when it comes down to it, he actually is a pretty good secret agent, I guess. But only when he really has to be. The rest of the time, he's just eating and drinking. <laughs> so that is, it's a really that great is show. So, okay, that is so funny because I'm a huge fan of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy which stars Gary Oldman as a buttoned down, I, I, if I recall, agent. I think it's based on Smiley's People or something like that. 
Love that movie. So this is a completely different tone, right? With Slow Horses, you're, it's a whole different kind of thing. It's not like if you're a fan of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, you're going to love Slow Horses, right? There's no parallel as far as that goes. Well, it's got some good spy stuff in it too. Like, you mm-hmm. know, good, it's got action in it. It'll have stakes in it. But in the middle of all that, so to me, it's almost works in a way kind of like uh, Columbo where half of Columbo was the mystery and the other half was just the character of Columbo and how weird and how awesome he was. It's kind of like that. So you just have characters that are just F-ups across the board, but somehow they're just good enough to get stuff done. And the rest of the legitimate forces hate them. They don't like them. So anytime (laughs) that they're poking their way into it, it's uh, anyway, we're reviewing slow horses here, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Go check it out. I think three full seasons now are available. On, and just uh, Apple. Re- I'm assuming just really well-written series, right? Just yeah, really well-written yeah. and just, it's just fun. And it's just, it's not super heady. It's not super artsy. It's just kind of meat and potatoes with this, a little bit of character edge. That's better than the average. So yeah. Yeah. I've just finished the second season of Reacher. I'm a huge fan of I'm not the books because I'm not a big reader, but Reacher on Prime Video second season, the final couple of episodes have not yet to be released, but I've had an early access to it. And I really like the second season as well. So, so really, what was the second series that you're you're watching right now? You're uh, Slow Fargo, Horses. Fargo season five, and it's two episodes left. Uh, Julian, Julian Temple, I think it's Julian Temple. She mm-hmm. is killing it in this season and this season is just a hell of a lot of fun am i right about the name i think i'm wrong juno temple maybe juno Juno. temple thank you julian temple is uh (laughs) he's a director right (laughs) i don't know i lose yes i think you're right yeah juno temple is from uh yes ted lasso well also all right and oh yes yes the rest in peace william friedkin the movie with with, what was the movie with william friedkin and emile hirsch eric holmes emile hirsch killer joe Killer Joe. Killer Joe. Oh, yeah. She's the young girl in Killer Joe, and now she's not as young, obviously. She is amazing in this. John Cam is pretty good in it, too, as a total creep bad guy. Okay. So you are juggling two series as we speak. Before we get to our features, by the way, our features this week is Mayhem and The Painter. We'll get to that shortly. And the box movie, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, is a film called what the Peeper Saw. No, it's not a movie about Greg Ruzavasi. This is a movie called What the Peeper Saw. stars Britt Eklund. We'll get to that. Eric alluded to the fact that there are two movies that he wanted to bail on. We're going to see what those two movies are very shortly. But first, Eric Holmes, anything you want to promote, talk before we talk about before we get into the features? Not at the moment, though. I did uh, a couple of friends of mine. They have like a Star Trek podcast. I'm not a Star Trek guy, but... It was, uh, they did their Christmas episode, so they wanted to do something about Gremlins, and they're like, hey, Eric knows about Gremlins, so they had me on that. I'm not sure when that's coming out, but when it is, I'll let you know. Okay. And then, of course, the uh, the Film Vault playthrough, that's still up on uh, the Film Vaulter's YouTube page, and check that out, and I shoot some more of those this month. So if you want to play along, let me know. And you've been doing a whole bunch of interviews that I'm just trying to catch up on bunch of Sundance Film Festival interviews, that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, we got, we got a couple of them. They're two shorts and two very different, very strange ones, like 15 minutes long each. And I don't have it up right now, but those will, those will be... Uh, we got Daniel Barossa, the shell-covered ox. And then we have the director, producer, and actor for... I cannot remember the name of the short, but it's okay. insane. It's basically... Uh, well, I can't, can't really review it, but 
I'll just say I liked it a lot and it was strange. And a lot of people watch it go, what the hell is this? But in the best way possible. We'll put those That's two... not a review, is it? That's not a review. No, not, not a review. I didn't give it a star rating, so it didn't count. So those two sets of interviews will be up shortly on our Cinematics podcast feed. Also put up the Eric's interview from several weeks back for the mental state with, I believe their names are actress Allison Thornton and director, what was James? I'm trying to remember the name, James something. I'm going to look it up right now. The mental state, what will people get when they see the mental state? Uh, they'll get a really huge bummer of a movie, but a really well done huge bummer of a movie. It just, I, I would say, check out the mental state because one, it's totally worth watching. It's really good the way it deals with like mental health and trying to get mental health. They put that in the movie, which you don't see hardly anywhere in anything. So I really appreciated that. But do make sure you have a buffer to play afterwards because you don't want to put this on right before you go to bed. I don't think it's not going to hit. I don't think it's going to aid in your mental health at all, but definitely worth watching. Eric, you gave it the movie, if I recall, The Mental State, five stars. So basically this movie had you gripped from the get-go, is mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay. And then cool. it just kept breaking my heart and breaking my heart. And I was like, oh, man, oh, I hate watching this, but all this like just rings so true. It, it's one of those, it's kind of like Snow Angels. It's like, dude, I hated watching Snow Angels, but so good. But, it's, okay. you know, it, it's one of one of those kind of movies. All right, great. James Kamali with I yeah. with apologies. Directed by James Kamali. He's also one of the writers along with Joshua Barclay and Jeremy Anderson. Eric Holmes, yes, sir. I should I should also mention with the uh shorts, the directors that I interviewed for the shorts, they're going to Sundance. And I didn't know this, but apparently like it'll have its Sundance premiere and then like a couple days later, I guess they have a Sundance channel where they'll start playing those on the Sundance channel so you can watch those there. And I believe i don't know if this one does it as well but i got a feature length that i'll be doing this friday so i don't know when it'll come out that's What's another the... sundance movie okay very and cool I, I haven't watched it yet so i'm gonna have to do that tonight because doing the interview on friday but yeah I, I, apparently the sundance channel is a thing so if you can't make it to the sundance thing you can probably watch a lot of the movies online speaking of what time okay you are in a sundance state of mind eric this week actually last couple of weeks doing all these interviews. Thank you for that. Speaking of watching movies, there's a movie called The Painter. It's in select theaters January 5th. Specifically, if you want to buy it or or rent it on digital, it will be out January 9th. It's directed by Kimani Ray Smith, and it centers on a former CIA operative who's now a painter. He lives out somewhere in Oregon in the woods. He paints people. He paints landscape. He's a very talented painter. That person is played by Charlie Weber. He's pulled back in when he realizes, when he when there's this mysterious young woman played by Madison Bailey, she accosts him at his local bar and she says, hey, my mom is missing. You need to find her. She told me to to actually contact you if the you-know-what hits the fan. And he's like, what are you talking about? I, I don't know what's going on. What this CIA, ex-CIA operative trying to do is he's basically lying. And when push comes to shove, he gets thrown back into this world of espionage and danger trying to save this young girl who who is she she might be someone from his past she might be related to a former love that he had or in a, a fellow colleague and also in this movie is john voigt he plays sort of a father figure mentor to the charlie weber slash painter character and john voigt does john voigt things i was just re-watching a week ago the ending of run a runaway train several times i love that movie so much i think that's streaming somewhere but i know bruce you love runaway train I'll watch John Voight in anything. The bottom line is, whether it's a really bad movie or a really good movie or a classic like Runaway Train, I'll see John Voight. I don't know if 
Eric and Bruce feel the same way I feel about John Voight. We just did a documentary on Midnight Cowboy, and we we love that as well. Bruce, let's start off with you first. What is your patience as far as watching every John Voight movie under the sun? And <laughs> under the sun, where does the painter fall on that list? Well, watching every John Voight movie could be dangerous because that could be like watching every Nicolas Cage movie. You know, there's there's a, there's a broad <laughs> level of goodness in that. I think, a sample set. But this is a very special movie because, first of all, I do not believe this movie is trying to be funny. (laughs) This is the preface I'm coming to the table with. This movie is quite something. So we didn't talk about his superpower. It's not really a superpower, but it's kind of a superpower. So so he's, he's a special agent, right? Well, Uh, The story goes, and I think they have a little flashback to kind of demonstrate how it happened, but he was in a bombing, a terrorist attack or something, and it hurt him really bad. It hurt his eyes or his ears really bad. Anyway, what happens is now he has to wear like kind of like AirPods in his ears because the very beginning we see him sitting at a, what, a diner, and he takes the AirPods out. And all of a sudden you have the little montage of all the things he's hearing, conversations and the coffee pouring and the clock ticking. It's like, oh, he can hear everything around him, like super hearing. And this is what he's going to use for his skills. Now, on top of that, being the painter, (laughs) quote, the painter, if he does get attacked by a crew of bad people, I mean, he might use painting implements to kill them. I mean, that wouldn't be a surprising event to happen. He, He might kill them with brush handles and palette knives. This movie is preposterous. I think it's played straight. It's got some howlingly bad script lines in this movie. I mean, I didn't write them all down. I wrote one that just struck me because, oh, okay. there's this one flashback where his ex, I'm not sure what she his situation is. He remembers her giving him a, a present because he gets, oh, that's right. He gets a package in the mail of two art books, the same art book, duplicates. And then you have the flashback of why did he get duplicates? Because he had trained her or taught her that, you know, as a a great agent, you always want to have a backup. And then we have the great quote where (laughs) always have a backup, but there is only one you. Oh, man. This is like a Hallmark action movie, like a low grade Hallmark action movie. And I think if you take it with that attitude, that it's going to be absolutely earnest and absolutely preposterous and howlingly bad in some pretty great ways you might have fun one star banger one star banger what about you eric holmes uh so this is like one of those uh straight to video trash kind of movies and a lot of times i'm usually kind of i can be in the mood for this but i had a sinus infection the last couple days so i was sitting there going i can't do this i can't i just i mean this is an action thriller and the action scenes are done pretty terribly the plot is a typical spy plot where it's just overly convoluted and that usually just washes over me i I figure with movies like this if you can get the action right i can forgive a lot of it kind of like a comedy like a comedy if the the plot's stupid the story's stupid things don't make sense that's fine as long as the jokes land and i i laugh a couple times i'll call it a win much like in comedies if the jokes don't land with me i'm not gonna like the movie with this if the action doesn't land i'm not gonna like the movie and that's kind of where i'm at in this I think a movie like The Painter could help with like a Nicolas Cage as a lead or put Elena Kempores in there. We've said it before, Elena Kempores and Nicolas Cage, I put those two in this movie. I think it would I would have worked because I like both those actors. John Voight's, well, I was trying to figure out what John Voight was doing in this. And apparently the uh, the writer, Brian Uccellato, also wrote that 
legacy of murder, that murder mystery that John Voight was in that we saw a bit ago, which kind of makes sense. Although I wonder, I'd really kind of like to read the script because I wonder if this is like a Joe Russo thing with uh, what happened with Killshot. Because he's got to read the script of uh, Open Source, which Killshot was later turned into Killshot. And Open Source was really good. Eric, does Charlie Weber, does he remind you of something? Uh, No. Soulmates. Soulmates? He was in Soulmates? That's the same guy in Soulmates? No. He's the lead. He's the lead. Oh, no. Yep. Watch Soulmates instead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But anyway, I wonder how how good the the script was. There, There seems to be a thing where these production companies get these scripts, and maybe they're brilliant, maybe they're not, but then they start shooting it, and then just... I don't know if it's the producers or the directors then have a vision for it or whatever it is. And they shoot the movie, they get a name actor. In this case, it's John Voight, so they can sell it. And they just shoot it with, I know everyone, no one sets out to make a bad movie, but I'm not convinced that they set out to make a good movie. I think they set out to make a movie that they could sell and, you know, God help them. Hopefully they do it. This just isn't good. Every choice in this feels like the laziest one. And yeah, the, this, and normally, normally I can be up for that. Like if you have certain ingredients in place, again, a Nicolas Cage, Elena Camporis that works well in kind of straight to video trash like this, you know, it can work and be fun, but this just isn't. It just kept going and going and going. And yeah, my, my, to- my toenails are all clipped though. I'll, I'll give it that. Okay. So the movie, The Painter, we're going to, we're going to actually review a movie called Mayhem in a few moments and mayhem has some really great action sequences the painter's action sequences compared to mayhem pale in comparison i still ended up really enjoying the painter i liked it i enjoyed it as a i don't think this is straight to video trash i thought it's not as bloody as mayhem so i think there is an audience who will enjoy the painter because there is violence but it is not just bloody bone bone sticking out kind of violence like mayhem this is the violence is it's there it's tamped down it's not gory i think this has a certain kind of cachet i john voight reminds me of a character he played in a previous movie i'm not i can't really mention what movie that is but once you see the ending of the painter you're gonna know exactly the john voight role i'm talking about but ultimately i liked charlie weber and madison bailey's performance really enjoyed John Voight. He was, the good thing about the Voight character is it's not a cameo where he's in it for 10 seconds and then the rest of the movie, everyone else. Yeah. So John Voight actually is in The Painter, but really it's Charlie Weber and Madison Bailey's film. I liked the third act where the story went. There are people in this film that you're going, oh, I don't know. I think that person might be, well, there's certain people that you're surprised that actually do die in this, in The Painter. So I really enjoyed this as a solid enough action thriller. I was fine with it. And there is a hint of maybe a story continuing. I would watch a continuation of The Painter and its universe. Really liked where it was going. Bruce mentioned some kind of superpower at the beginning regarding his hearing. He has sort of an acute hearing, this painter, and it helps him in his respective missions or day-to-day life. And that those kind of quote-unquote superpowers is actually applied to the overall fabric of the story. So ultimately directed by Kamani Ray Smith, is it this grade A level action film? No, but I think as a solid action thriller with solid performances, again, I liked the interplay between Charlie Weber and Madison Bailey. I always love John Voight. I'm giving the painter, I'm in the minority here, 
three and a half out of five stars. Eric Holmes, your review. I mean, your rating. Actually, I will kind of give it give it points that John Voight is actually in this movie. Unlike the the Bruce Willis movies that came out, where like that you know they have him in just long enough so they can put him on the on the uh, cover, but he's not really in it uh, okay. in any meaningful way. So I'll, I'll give it points for that. But yeah, it just didn't work for me. And I'm going to give it a half star bump because I did have a sinus infection. And maybe, maybe I would have enjoyed this more had that not been the case, but I'm going star and a half. One star and a half from Eric Holmes. Bruce, your rating. I'm still at one star banger, but also I'm going to give it a title for the sequel to this. It's going to be Watching the Painter Die. (laughs) Watching the Painter Die. Very good. Bruce Berkey. Oh, and we didn't mention low rent Jared Leto. That's his nemesis in here, too, that has to wear (laughs) headphones and listen to techno the whole time. Well, he likes techno and he has these really cool headphones and he bops the bead. Bruce. Yeah, he sure does. Low, low, <laughs> Jared Leto. Love it. The Painter, starring Charlie Webb, Madison Bailey, and John Voight. Intellect Theater, January 5th, and available to buy on digital on January 9th. Again, that is three and a half stars for me, one and a half from, from Eric, and a one star banger from Bruce. Next up is a movie called Mayhem. Bruce, do you want to take it away as far as plot summary? Because this is one of these movies where I don't know where to where to start. I mean, it's it centers on um, a guy. He's in prison, yeah. I guess. And but it yeah, goes all can, of... it can, yeah. We can hit this pretty quick. I think set it up. First of all, it's directed by I never say know how to say his name. Is it Javier or Z- Xavier? Xavier? Jens? I'm gonna say Xavier. I'm yeah. Jens. Yeah, um, Xavier, I thing. know that yeah. director from Frontiers. I think very famously one of the. Uh, French extremity movies from the early thousands, if I remember correctly. Yes. I know that Eric is also familiar with that movie. And this takes place, well, it starts out in France in prison. And our main character, Samir, played by Nassim Lias. Lias. He's He goes on a parole. He immediately is getting harassed by his former drug connections and they're trying to suck him back into their world he's trying to resist it in the middle of that he when they basically when he ignores them they attack him he accidentally kills one of the guys and then goes on the run and you jump forward i think what five years later and now he's in thailand and he's created a whole new life and you get to see his life he's basically he's got a a fiance is it Wife. wife. It was wife. his wife. She did yeah. marry. He did marry her. I couldn't remember. Yeah. Essentially an adopted daughter. It's not his biological daughter, but adopted daughter. They're living kind of this seemingly kind of a somewhat idyllic life. He's he's away from that whole world he was in before. He does kind of work in this a kind of double job where he's working at kind of this airport resort kind of area part of the time. And part of the time he's making money doing like Thai boxing or kickboxing. I'm not sure the yeah. exact style of boxing but it's kind of that combo kind of ufc style of kind of stuff one thing you do notice very early on is that he's willing to throw fights to help make money because he's trying to make money so they can buy this property on the beach and essentially the the i guess the inciting incident of this movie is he needs more money they don't have enough money the authorities are keeping them from getting this property and he essentially is introduced to somebody who's not on the up and up who's possibly back in that drug business as well as other nefarious businesses. And he has to get in business with this person temporarily to hopefully make enough money to like realize this new life that he wants to have. And of course, as you might expect, things may not go the way he hopes. And I guess that's kind of the kickoff. I'll let you guys elaborate as you want to from there. Then ultimately what happens, it ends up being a revenge story, revenge action thriller Because when things go sideways, 
regarding his supposed business deal with this crime boss. The crime boss is his name is Narong, played by Olivier Gourmet, I believe. I might be mispronouncing, but Narong is a crime lord. He sets on this uh, Sam, our protagonist, sets on a one man, seemingly one man vendetta, a vengeance mission against Narong and his scores of henchmen. Hench people, actually. There are women here who are also part of the mercenary crew who work under this crime lord. And the rest of the movie, we see Sam just traveling back and forth from his little town in Thailand. He doesn't live in Bangkok. He lives in a small island. So it's a really nice... From that area, area he's trying to find a lot of the criminals. And then also, it ends up in him traveling to Bangkok to actually trying to find the main bad guy for mayhem. So that is ultimately... The movie, it's directed by, I don't, again, Bruce, like Xavier or Xavier. I'm just just say Xavier Jens from Frontiers. You guys know, you and Eric know him from Frontiers. I know him from directing several episodes of Gangs of London. By the way, that's a great series on AMC. You should definitely check it out. You can tell just from watching, for me watching Gangs of London, I knew this was the action choreography. My choreography was going to be just on a different level, and it's just great to watch. If you're a fan of what The Raid Redemption, Eric was mentioning, Old Boy, those kind of films, I think you might, as far as the action goes, I think you might, a lot of people will sort of gravitate towards mayhem. My only warning regarding mayhem, not, and it's not just, yes, it gets gory, gets bloody. There's a lot of story in this movie, okay? So it's not just wall-to-wall action. It's 109 minutes, and some people may not like the world building. I enjoyed the storytelling behind Mayhem. There's a lot of dramatic moments that intersperse with a lot of the action in Mayhem. Eric Holmes, your thoughts on the movie and how you felt about it? Well, first of all, it's got a it's got a similar tone to like Catch the Fair One or uh, these. Now my mind went blank. I can't think of any of But like the you know, it, it's it's kind of a slow build. You know, you spend time with him and his family. Special shout out to whoever played his daughter. She had strong Pim Zam vibes. Sorry, family. Effing, I freaking loved her. Oh cause. my god. When, when okay. I get when I make comparisons to Pim Zam, I get a little too excited. Okay. But uh, right. and not not okay. what you sickos. But uh, yeah, I loved his daughter. I loved his wife in this. Like the, just the whole family set up and kind of how they how they uh, work together. And so when it became like a, it's kind of like, it's similar to a Punisher origin story. But I think they did the they did the work because like that inciting incident doesn't really happen to like what like half hour forty minutes in. And so you get to really spend time with them. You get to see the struggles that him and his wife are trying to, you know, get this by this land so they can start the this beachside kind of bar thing. You know, they're they're working towards something, and I'm there for their journey. So then, when the goons come in and basically just lay waste to all of them, it hits. It it hurts. This is like one of those movies you've seen a million times. You know, this movie doesn't try to invent the wheel because hey, wheel, it's round, it rolls, it works pretty good. Why reinvent it? But I'll just make a really good one. And this one does that. And sometimes that's all you need in a movie like this. Kind of like the painter. Painter didn't reinvent the wheel, but it didn't make a particularly good wheel. It had a bunch of the spokes were broken and it was all wobbly and everything. This one's like, this one's got rubber tires, really strong aluminum rims, shiny. You know, this one's uh, really nice. The action scenes are great. They do have like a scene that's kind of like, I saw the scene. It was like, oh, this, he's doing his old boy scene here. There's another scene. It's like, oh, here's his raid redemption scene. And for the most part, like, you know, I suppose you could watch that and go, oh, it's derivative. But I don't know. I, I think they work. And there's one scene where you see uh, you see in movies where people break their arm or leg and there's an exposed bone. They put that to great use in this. 
<laughs> I was like, what the, they, you know, the camera like did a close up on there. I'm like, no, no, uh, they did it. They went for it. And so, yeah, this movie is, this movie is great. Even yeah, with it, even with the sinus infection and head cold, I was raw, raw, raw all the way through. And then the quiet parts really worked as well. Like the, I didn't get bored at him by him because it further the you got to see the characters uh, spend time with each other, or you got to see the pain or whatever turmoil they're going through. So it's not just like wasted, you know, wasted shots of nothing for nothing's sake. Everything just clicked in this one for me. I didn't know it was the director of Frontiers until it was over. I was like, who is this guy? And I clicked, you know, checked IMDb. I was like, oh, this is the person that did Frontiers. And this is better than Frontiers, like, by a long shot, which I would hope so since, you know, he's been at it for a while. Okay, so Bruce, what is your thoughts on Mayhem? Did it work for you? It did. Pretty similar to Eric's thoughts, too. First of all, I he's right. I mean, the story, you've seen it. You've seen it, and when you're watching it, you're like, okay... <laughs> everything's happy pretty much with him and the the family and all that and you know that's you know you're waiting for the shoe to drop there obviously but when you come to a movie like this what has to work is a couple things first of all they really do a great job with setting like when they're in in france for a little bit you really understand the world he's in and then when they get in thailand you really understand the world he's in it's and it's like you understand the people you understand the setting you understand the stakes once again, that's sort of key for a movie like this. The other thing that's kind of an intangible is charisma and chemistry. I think him and his wife and the kid have great chemistry. The Some of the side characters, which one of them he has a more of an engagement with later in the movie, have great chemistry. And I think that the, the lead here has a ton of charisma. Unlike the painter, where I thought the lead did not have a ton of charisma, at least in that role. Here, I think this guy, not only is he great in all the action subsets... You know, he's got just great charisma overall. I could see this person being an ongoing action star, honestly, if there is such a thing as an action star these days, right? He's got the goods, I think. I agree. Uh, there's Once again, there's several set pieces that are versions of set pieces you've seen before, but once again, they're done really well. And I would say there's a lot of several, I say three or four that are really good, but for me, the standout, I'm just going to say the standout takes place in an elevator. There's a scene on an elevator that I think is just great. And it's great because it's got great visceral action, but it also has a weird, and I'm not going to describe what happens exactly, but there's this weird combo. Like these kind of scenes usually are just very fast, very energetic. And that happens a lot in this. It's very fast and energetic, but also at points, it's slow. It's almost at a standstill. It's almost like three or four characters are all frozen in a, in a moment where each of them is frozen poising to cause major damage on the other. And you're waiting to see how is that bottle going to be, you know, that pressure in that bottle going to be released and who is going to take the brunt of it in what way. It's really interesting how it's done. And I think the tension along with just kind of the stakes are really cool in that scene, especially. This movie is really similar to like S. Craig Zoller's movies where that where it's slow. It's slow in the parts where it needs to be slow. It develops the characters. And then the uh, big action parts or the big violent parts they're not, it's not wall to wall that, but when they hit, they hit hard because it's, it's almost like he calls his shots when he needs to, as opposed to just having it be slathered on. Yeah. Also, Sam, it, the, the main guy is you, you actually get worried because he gets his, you know, what kicked in this movie. Yeah. He's not a one man wrecking crew. Like I said, at the beginning, you think he is, but he's just a human being. And he goes through the ringer towards the end. You're wondering is Sam going to get out of this alive or not? We're not going to say. 
So it's a very human story in, in many ways, even though no one individual individual is going to try to take down this sort of house of criminals. But there's also a level of reality behind mayhem as well. All right. Ratings for mayhem, Eric. Oh, six, six point nine stars. I love this movie. I think I mentioned to you guys off air that had this come out in like a week ago, this this would have been in my top ten of the of twenty twenty three easy. Wow. Okay. I'm giving it a straight up about four and a half stars. Four and a half out of five stars. Maybe with room to grow, but this is a movie which is cool because it comes out in theaters on Friday, January fifth, and is available everywhere you rent movies. This is confidently I can say go rent or purchase. Mayhem, I think, especially if you can stand some of the bloody stuff, I think you're going to really enjoy this movie. Four and a half out of five. For me, Bruce. Uh, for me, once again, not a big action guy. And this we talked about this before. For me, it's still a four-star movie. And I would just say, if you like the reference movies that we spoke about, or if you are a fan of action movies, especially kind of gritty action movies, this is going to be a no-brainer for you. And if you're kind of like me and you're not really so much into them, but you like kind of you've got those movies that we mentioned, then I think this is definitely worth checking out. Okay. It should also Great. mention it's mayhem with an exclamation point. So yes. I believe it's mayhem. <laughs> and or I, believe mayhem the, is... I believe the original title is Farang, which I believe means foreigner, which also plays yes. into the plot. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to watch the other mayhem from about six years ago, that's a great movie too. Oh, really? I, did, I had no The idea. office building, crazy office right. building one with Bruce yes. Willis. No. <laughs> no, the one from, what, Ready or Not or something? I, yes, yes. The woman from Ready or Not, which I can never remember her name. Yeah, and also, her name. Um, The one who uh, looks like Margot Robbie. Margot yes, Robbie. Yes. Yes. It's a great just office insanity action movie, which I'm sure if you look at the picture, you'll see that you'll know that. So if you accidentally watch that mayhem by mistake, you'll see two good movies. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> okay, before we get to our box review of what the people saw, we have a very, very quick recommendations let's start off with across the spider-verse eric you said you saw it any just a lot of people are putting it on their top 10 list just your quick reaction to this overhyped great movie how does it stand for you i would say i don't get it i enjoyed it the first one well okay across the this one i liked a lot more than the first one the first one took me a couple times to get through it just because i kept falling asleep I, i just could not do it but everyone was talking about like how much better this one was than the second one i will say like i like like the animation style even with the first one, you know, I like the animation style, I like the Spider-Man 2099s in it, like the reading the comics when those came out. Uh, some of the character stuff was a lot better in this than they are in most comic book movies. So I appreciate that. I guess w- where I'm kind of not getting it is kind of similar to RRR. Like, I like RRR. I like the elements of it, but I don't understand what sets RRR above other ones. Similar, I don't understand what sets Spider-Man across these Spider-Verse movies above other movies similar to it, if that makes sense. Like, Mm. this is still easily a four-star movie, but everyone's fallen over themselves over it, and I don't... I don't understand what the extra sauce is, and I think that just might be on me. I, I don't see what Bruce, other what's the extra sauce? In this. Well, once again, I'm not a big superhero guy. I do really like it. For me, what sets it apart, I mean, first of all, A, number one is the art style, which we talked about, right? This, this just insane combination of different art styles within the same movie to represent all these different versions and different worlds and different characters and different emotions so i think the art itself is just gorgeous for me the other thing that works about it uh, that's extra for me is it feels like a comic book to me when you read comic books 
there's always this thing about in characters that you've seen before. And I don't know if you know how in comic books, they'll literally have little like subtitles and they'll tell you like which which book and which like volume this character is referenced from. Right. They'll do stuff like that. It literally does that in this movie in the same way that you get in like a Lego movie or something like that. There's a ton of rewatchability too, because there's so many tiny little details that you can catch that are just like off to the side or off to the corner or, or sub jokes upon sub jokes upon meta image in the background. I think that's to me the difference. This movie is just, it's kind of like everything ever all at once, right? It has this incredible denseness of color and sound and story and vision that if you like that, you can just keep digging into it. And I think that's what makes it different than say, I don't know, pick your other MCU movie. After watching uh, Into the Spider-Verse, like I had, like when this came out, I'm like, I sure, fine. I, I might watch it eventually. And I did. But the end of this one did make me more excited to watch the third one. Just because it, it felt like the like the story was like I, I, I'm excited to see where it goes. So who knows? Maybe the maybe the third one will be like the Superman three of the or Godfather three of the series, where it's like, ooh, this is they finally gave us the good one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as it is, I am not at all saying this is a bad movie. This is a pretty good movie. I just I'm just you don't not, know what the crazy the craziness is. About. I, I'm I'm just not getting over that hump. But who mm. knows? I, I think Beyond the Spider-Verse might get me there because where this one ended, I am kind of curious to see where the story goes. Eric, what's your rating on Godfather? One to five. What's your rating? Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's the best Godfather, but I mean, the first two aren't that good. It's probably like a three, three and a half, maybe. Three and a half. Rating on Godfather 2. Uh, it's not high. The, the first two are like watching three and paint half? dry. Uh, probably like two stars, maybe. Two stars on Godfather 2. Godfather 3, rating. The third one? Yeah. The uh, three. Three. We'll, we'll go one, two, three. All three of them. I'm, I'm not all a three fan of the. Wow. The first two are like watching paint dry. The third one's the only one that, like, the. This is the only one that was interesting to me. That, the third like, one. So, that, that's, start... a, that's another thing. Like, people follow, oh, Godfather's the greatest movie ever made. Godfather 2 is even better. I'm like, well, all right. To use their own, I guess. I, they're just not for me. Not for you, Godfather Saga. Okay, wow. If you want to watch a good Francis Ford Coppola movie, watch The Rainmaker. Okay. Cheers. Oh, wow. Very good. Okay. <laughs> I should put that on a reel or something. Bruce, what's your rating on Godfather Saga overall? Cumulative. If you're going in order from one to three, I would go three and a half, three, two and a half. For the Godfathers? Yeah. You feel the same way? Yeah, I don't love them. I like them though, but I like three and a half is the, be the best. First one's the best one to me, three and a half. My gosh, does anyone else in our cinematics Facebook group feel that this way about the Godfather stuff? Do you guys know other than you? If you want to see a good Coppola movie, go watch uh, <laughs> The Rainmaker. Uh, I'll what? say The Conversation and Apocalypse Now and uh, Rumblefish. Ooh, Rumblefish, very good poll. Bruce Berkey. Godfather for me is five. Godfather two is five. Godfather three does not exist for me. So <laughs> moving forward does not exist as a great. Movie. You're part of the problem. <laughs> I'm part of the is. problem. Okay. So let's go to our box movies. I don't well, know. I class. We have one more. We have one more recommendation. Oh, I was going to pull over the holdovers for next week. Oh, are you going to make that joke? School for a week and wait for you. Okay. So Eric reviewed the holdovers last week. You're doing a sort of a mini rewind on it. And, and uh, Eric, you're going to chime in too, but I love Matt Stillman. He I is know, a I member of our Cinematics Facebook group listeners. And join. Join our Facebook group. We have some really great people on a daily basis giving, doling out movie reviews or movies we should not see. 
Matt Stillman is a dear friend of ours, also a member of the group. And he really went off on this movie. He was just saying, I, I, I'm trying to remember what he said, but basically he feels that this movie is obviously overrated. I mean, for, for him, this movie sure. is beloved. Where do you stand on this? Oh, I, I really like this movie. They did make a comment or he started getting a sub conversation about the character of, I write it down, Mary being like the magic, I will say the magic African-American person in this movie. Once again, I think, I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration in this movie because I don't think that her role is that important. I would say there is a slight knock on the fact that I don't think her, her role is important enough in this movie. I think that she's less, she's given less highlight and it's, you're going to make three characters and make them all equally important. I think that she should have had more to do in this movie, but uh, that would be my only kind of knock on the movie. Other than that, I think it's quite good movie and I think it's a really good script as well. Once again, I don't know what Eric, where Eric falls on this one. I don't remember what he thought of it. I think it's just great character work. You've got, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a simple, simple situation, right? You go into what is it? 1970 or whatever. It doesn't. And once again, he, uh, Stillman criticized that. Why is it 1970? Well, I think it's 1970 because it's just, you got this whole thing of generations, young generations going crazy at the time, but you have it in this very conservative setting, which is kind of this private high school. And the biggest thing about this movie is that you've got essentially three broken characters or three characters in stasis, right? Mm -hmm. They're the ones left behind during the winter break. The the cook, uh, which is Mary Tully, which is the, the teenage kid who thinks he's kind of this cocky, snotty little teenager that thinks he's the best thing around and all of a sudden he, his parents his remarried mother with his stepdad decide oh we, we're it's more important for us to go off and have our fun with leave you behind so now he's stuck and he has to humble himself and how he has nowhere to go and then of course you have paul by paul giamatti who is the teacher who everyone kind of hates he's the kind of teacher who <laughs> the perfect thing is early on he's the kind of teacher who the top grade he gives on an exam is what b plus who he gives to Tully, the top grade he gives is B+. Almost everyone else gets like Ds or, or fails right before break. And then they all start to complain or the uh, Tully starts to complain. And he says, okay, fine, I'll give you another chance. I'm going to give you a new test, but it's on new stuff. You're going to have to study it over your Christmas break. And uh, that's the kind of guy he is. And he's a drunk on top of that. It's just great character work. Put together all these characters that don't seem to have anything in common, who are all at broken points in their lives and turn the keys and let them go and, and just watch the character interactions. And I think that's where the magic is in this movie. And it's, I think it's pretty fantastic, honestly. Pretty fantastic. Good enough to be top tier Alexander Payne. Were you Bruce? What do you feel about that? Yes, I would agree. I think it is what election I haven't, no, one, I have not seen, I still haven't seen Nebraska. Mm. So I need to see Nebraska and keep meaning to see it. And I think it might Same be in, my, in the box, but for right now, I'd say for me, it's this a sideways in Nebraska or it's this, Sideways and election. Those would be my top three Alexander Payne's. Did you like About Schmidt too? Uh, not so much. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. I love the ending of About Schmidt. Very memorable for me. Eric, the holdovers. I've, I'm looking at the past Google Docs. I forgot what you rated the holdovers or if you I did give it. I forgot too, but it's probably high. Um, okay. I, I just like Alexander Payne's movies in general, mostly because I'm an Omaha Omahaian just as he is so like I always root for his movies and they're usually pretty good downsizing did you like downsizing too I did like downsizing I'm the guy who likes downsizing <laughs> okay you're, you're the guy you're the guy who likes downsizing why do you think you're the guy who likes it and so many other people feel that's lesser pain do you think there's some people who don't get that that you got there's something that that uh, I don't know that, I don't know if they don't get it I mean that's like I, I just kind of 
I have so much goodwill towards Alexander Payne's movies. Apparently, he's got some personal stuff that maybe I'm not so uh, keen on. But like, as far as his movies go, and the fact that someone broke out of Omaha and became a successful filmmaker, like that, that kind of excites me a little bit. Maybe I just take them for what they are. And they usually end up being entertaining and uh, the characters always end up being really vibrant. Yeah, I just dig them for what they are. What is your rating on the holdovers? I don't remember. Just, say, it was just, just what is what is your rating right now? I don't I can't I can't find it. I mean, it's the, probably five stars. It it, it fits stars? right in. Okay. Yeah, it fits right in with the uh, election and Citizen Ruth and okay. Kyle Schmidt and all those. Okay, five stars for Eric Holmes. This is his rating for today. We're gonna stick to it. Stick to five stars. What about you, Bruce? I'll go four and a half stars only because I think the one character gets a little bit of short shrift. Only a little bit. It's minor, and it, I, I think also this might be my favorite Paul Giamatti role ever this is wow. definitely in the top three even over top sideways top. even over the his sideways character even over okay. sideways this is a pretty great character i think yeah i think uh yeah i was like, eric i think you'd agree too on that one i think wow. i think alexander payne and paul giamatti just need to be working together like constantly because that you know how like uh you know scorsese's got de niro and dicaprio quint tarantino's got sam jackson like you know every director usually has her muse i think alexander payne needs to be working with paul giamatti Always and forever. Okay. All right. That is five stars for Eric, four and a half for Bruce for the holdovers. Now, Pete, I don't, I'm, without any preamble, this is sort of like New Year. Just wanted to say, Pete Abeda, thank you, Joseph Navarro, Tyler Noe, for putting out a great show with Middle Class Film Class. You want to check some really great conversations on just different films. What's great about them is they have, they don't have a, a sort of a set selection of movies. They have the wheel, but they spotlight so many different kind of movies and they have both. They, they each have very unique viewpoints. Uh, I, I still, this is maybe going back to a year and a half ago, I still love their conversation on the relevance of black and white movies. I, I'm glad I wasn't driving when I listened to that conversation, but it's, it's a great, some, and John Waters, the validity of John Waters, some really great stuff that I really enjoyed. Check out Middle Class Film Class, but most importantly, Pete, drop that beat. Remove your hand from the box and you die. What's in the box? Bruce, for the box movie, once in a while, I'm going to want us to do sort of a very quick spoiler situation for your box movies. I felt what the people saw would be a really good mini spoiler. Okay, so listeners, we're not going to talk about the spoilers right now on this episode. We're going to sign off. We're going to review it, sign off, and then we're going to come back in a few seconds and just quickly talk about maybe a little bit of the spoiler-terrific stuff for what the people saw. Right now, I'm on IMDb. It's 5.8 out of 10. I'm conflicted. That's reg- yeah, that's, that's high. high. I'm, conf- <laughs> Agree. I'm, conflict- I'm conflicted regarding my own rating for what the people saw because of a lot of things. So does this movie work? I don't know. I just found it to be interesting. I just found it to be... Well, Bruce, I'm trying to... And Eric, I'm trying to make a sort of a thing where... The sum Apology? of its parts, no. The sum of its parts, <laughs> the sum of its parts. I mean, the parts itself are is greater than the actual execution of the movie. I just found this to be very curious, a very curious film. What the people saw, released in 1972. I am talking too much because this is Bruce Blakey segment. Bruce, why don't you take it away with what the people saw, who recommended, etc. 
recommended by um, Walk the Cinema. I don't remember which person on there recommended it, but they recommended it or, or asked me to put it in the box. I don't know if they recommended it per se because I didn't hear the review of it. The basic idea of this, first of all, I think one way to attack this movie as far as just to take it in is to think of this as giallo adjacent because this has that weird disjointed somewhat nonsensical plot thing that you get with some italian movies in general from that time period and especially giallo movies from that period it is not a giallo movie so let's you know don't don't think that but it just has that kind of off kilter nonsensical thing about it that's what i felt i don't know what you guys will say but the basic concept is this you have a new bride played by Britt Eklund, the great Britt Eklund from The Wicker Man. If you have not or seen for The me, Wicker Man. Get Carter. I love, I love her from Get Carter. Well, I'll just say if you haven't seen Wicker Man, you, of course. You, you must not remember her because if you would remember her, if you've seen The Wicker Man. Anyway, she plays this uh, young bride showing up and it looks like that they're return, going to a Spanish villa or a Spanish new house that they've got. It's what it looked like to me. Yeah. Shot in Madrid, and, I think. Yeah, and she arrives there, and she's her her husband Paul is not there yet. So when she arrives there, Paul's son is there. He's like twelve years old. His name Marcus. And immediately out of the gate, you're like, okay, this is like <laughs> early seventies creepy kid movie. Basically, creepy kid movie all the way. Like the know? bad seed, but, but yeah. with a dude with a little but kid. Ba- little yeah, kid. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like right out of the gate. I mean, one of the first things you see, well, very far, first of all, the very first thing you see before the credits is you see a, a naked woman dying in a bathtub. You don't know who she is. It ends up being his former wife, uh, Paul's former wife. But then early on, and she's stuck basically in the house with creepy kid. And at one point she's on the phone with Paul before he's arrived home. Kid's in the bathtub next to her. And kid just starts like caressing her and grabbing her breasts and feeling her up. And you're like, what is this movie? And that sets the stage for this, where this movie goes. Let's just say you could child labor laws. Was that in effect around that time? Uh, Well, there is some trivia about this movie. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. But this movie is basically just an ongoing. It's like one of the more gaslighting movies you've ever seen. Right. Where kid continues to do escalatingly creepy things uh husband is basically says wife is crazy or being mean or why don't you just believe my kid even though she has plenty of pretty concrete evidence that he's at least unbalanced you know so that's kind of the center of this movie and then it goes and makes some wild veers at the end and let's just say it goes in places that are highly inappropriate movie making i would say as well um in this movie that's about all i gotta say and it's not hugely exciting it's not very compelling there is a okay I, i will say this this is not a huge spoiler but i'm gonna spoil something right now too either turn you off or turn you on to this movie there is a stripping sequence regarding Elise, played by Britt Eklund. That stripping sequence, you're thinking, oh, is it she's stripping in front of a mirror by herself in the bathtub? Or is she changing in her room? No, the, uh, her stepson's in the room. So that's one of the scenes in the movie. Yes. And you're wondering, is there a body double? Bruce has some trivia. I don't know if it applies to my questions, but I hope there were some body doubles in this movie. Don't want to appear so PC about things, but... This is very suggestive regarding kid and adult relationships, in my opinion. So I, I don't know. It, there, that's why I'm so interested in this movie, because it has a lot of really interesting stuff about the movie. And it's one of those films where the title, What the Peeper Saw, what a great movie title. It just sounds like a creepy little movie. And I think it's just one of those movies that there are sections of the film that I found interesting. 
a lot more interesting than probably Bruce or Eric. I'll get to those in a, there's a, towards the end, there's an interrogation sequence between a psychiatrist and Elise, and it's just back and forth, back and forth. And it seems to go on forever. And you're thinking, why is this in the movie? But I thought this movie is such a mess that I really liked certain parts of the film and I was able to enjoy segments of what the people saw. Eric, your review of the movie. I can't review it because I didn't finish it. But oh. so it starts off with the uh, woman, I guess. Right. Did she die in the bathtub? That I had to rewind that. She scene died. Like she died. She, she's dead. I had to rewind bathtub. that scene a couple of times. That's not a spoiler. That's the beginning. It's two seconds. in the beginning. It's not a spoiler because I don't know what happened. No, I said, yeah, it's she, not a spoiler. She, she like she turns the cold water on with her feet and starts. Uh, I'm like, uh. Hold on. Let's rewind that. I think I missed something. Watch. She turned the cold water on, started gyrating and died, I guess. And then the movie kind of goes on. It's extremely boring. And then I'd, I'd say about it after like 40 minutes of it, I was like, no, I'm not. I'm I'm done. And I just bailed. I'm looking up one. There's two directors. Uh, one of the directors is James Kelly. The movie he directed before this is called The Beast in the Cellar. Now, that movie I did see. Oh, and that is by far one of the worst movies I've ever seen. There's like the snowman beast in the cellar and uh, probably the dark tower would probably be another one. But the beast in the cellar is just I, I, I remember buying that on DVD going, oh, what's this? And I think it had a different it didn't have the title of the beast in the cellar. I think it had a different title. But either way, I, I got the the DVD and I watch it. And oh, God, that that thing was boring. After now, just now, like literally now, as we're recording this, finding out that the director of what the peeper saw is the same director that did the beast in the cellar. First of all, how do you make that movie and then have people with money saying, yeah, come make another one. But more importantly, it kind of all the all the pieces, all the puzzle pieces are finally clicking together in my head. Uh, James Keller is not a good filmmaker. <laughs> Both these movies are utter garbage. Well, maybe what the peeper saw. It's better than, but yeah, I had a bail. Movie's also co-directed by Andrea Bianchi, yeah. and I was trying to look what this Bianchi did. And supposedly, this the filmmaker handled the foreign versions of the film. That's what happens. And James right. Kelly, I was trying to look up some information on him. He died in 1978, and I was trying to look for his obit all online. Still a mystery on how he died very early in 1978. Just trying to look up. For some reason, Bruce, I was uh, and Eric, I was looking up trivia stuff on this movie, which I think maybe we're giving a very, we're not really giving it a great review, but it just interests me. Look, there are some things I really enjoyed about this movie. The ending, I love the ending, which we're going to get to in after the thing. But I feel, I know Curiosity Killed the Cat, but there, if you want to see a movie that will make you feel uncomfortable... And Britt Eklund is actually front and center in this movie. If you are a fan of Britt Eklund and her relationship to Peter Sellers, Rod Stewart, the fact that she was a sex symbol in the late 60s and through the 70s, this is an interesting curiosity piece to watch. Does it work as a movie? Not really. But again, there are certain scenes that I enjoyed. But to Eric's point, it's a slog to get through. And yeah, the filmmaking... It's pretty subpar, and I wanted it to have a lot more fun. It just ended up being a curious little movie for me, but still, still a mild recommendation. I'm giving it three stars, Eric Holmes. You can't do it because you are 40 minutes in. No. But Bruce, what's your rating on this movie? Uh, what the people saw? I'll probably give it 
two stars. It probably gets one star just for the ridiculously stupid over the top ending, which we'll spoil for you, Eric. So you don't have to watch it, but it, you'll enjoy oh, just hearing, hearing go it. Go right it. ahead. Yeah. No, no. We, we can't do it right. Well, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, definitely. We'll definitely do it after the yeah. end of this episode. But yeah, I mean, should people watch this, Bruce? Like, not, not, not even give it a shot. You don't think? You no, know, I think this is probably only for people who are really fans of like 70s exploitation movies or really big fans of like the Italian genre movies of the 70s. I think, you know, if you're really into like all the all that stuff, you might check it out, at least give it a try. But I don't think it's a great version of those. We just talked about it earlier, right? There are way better versions of the exact same subgenre from mm. that era that you can go watch. Pick pick any Argento or Bava from that time period and you're probably going to do better. So Very, very good. Okay, so that is our review of what the people saw. We are not going to find a movie on the box right now. We're not going to shake the box. Can you tell our listeners why, Bruce? Oh, because last week I had forgotten that I had already picked one. So there actually were two box picks in the air after the end of last week. So the other one that I had picked the week before was to have and have not. Uh, Angie Clark had suggested that, which is uh, Bogart and Bacall, I think. Or... Yes, Bogart yes. and Bacall, yeah. To have an app from yeah. the 40s, probably. So I've never seen that movie. So that'll be uh, that'll be cool. I like watching those old noir kind of things. They're fun. All right. So that is it for episode 223 of Cinematics. Final comments before we go, Eric Holmes. Uh, yeah, we got a Night Swim coming out this week with Wyatt Russell. So you mm-hmm. can check that out. Of course, The Painter we talked about. But there's also another action movie featuring a uh, certain job called The Bricklayer. You can also check out with Gerard Butler. Uh, Clifton Collins Jr. The I mean, it's pro- pro- probably worth watching. Uh, cl- yeah, limited release. I mean, what, it, what is pro- it with all these bricklayers and beekeepers and <laughs> what's going on? I, out there? I, I think they saw Under Siege and they the the part in the trailer where Steven Seagal comes in. I'm just a cook, and it's like we can make so many movies about that. People just okay. doing things, but they kick butt. It's not Gerard Butler. It's Aaron Eckhart, Nina Dobrev, and Clifton Collins Jr. Directed by. Rennie Holland. How about that? I actually we probably should cover that. It's probably going to be good. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, if you went that way, I believe that's in limited <laughs> release. And I believe we are covering that one next week. The Bricklayer? Um, no, uh, he went that way. Oh, he went. Oh, oh. <laughs> this is like a what? Costello? Who's on Abbott first? Costello, who's on first? Yes. It's the Beekeeper? The Bricklayer? <laughs> the bookkeeper? Yes, we're covering, we're covering a movie called He Went That Way. Not he went that way, but he went that way, my bad, next week. But we're not covering the bricklayer. How did I miss the bricklayer? And you know how I'm... Oh, Rennie Harlan. Eric, Bruce, help me. Are you guys Rennie Harlan fans? The Long Kiss oh, Goodnight? God, Come on, no. guys. What? Rennie oh, Harlan is like terrible. <laughs> Long Kiss Goodnight, man. Yes. He did yeah, he, uh, Cliffhanger. Fort Fairline, right? I forget. Or am I, he, maybe, uh, but he did Cliffhanger. Fort- let me, look up, let me look up, because if he did Ford Fairlane, this will take like just three seconds. And this is my my bad, Bruce. I received on January 2nd, I received a screener link for The Bricklayer. So I'm going to check it out. I forgot. To, yes. Okay. He did, uh, he did Die Hard 2, but then he did uh, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Rennie Harlan. Okay, here's some fun. I, I think I mentioned this before. Rennie Harlan was supposed to direct. He was one of the early directors of Alien 3. Mm-hmm. And then he fell out. Eventually, David Fincher did Alien 3. 
or most of it before he left. Yeah. It, it got put together however it got put together. But then instead, Rennie Harlan did the Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Mm-hmm. And I think more people might remember the Billy Idol song Cradle of Love that came yeah. from Ford Fairlane than mm-hmm. they do with the movie itself. Guess who directed the video of Cradle of Love? Rennie Harlan? Fincher. Oh, David Fincher. Yeah, so oh, that's, that's Rennie so Harlan left Alien 3, which David Fincher directed, to do Ford Fairlane, which David Fincher directed the music video for the movie. Oh, that's amazing. By the way, I love that Cradle of Love video. That's an amazing yeah. video. Just... I, mean, it's, I mean, it's creepy, but... Yeah, it's about what are you talking? Guy. What are you talking about, Eric? Oh, guy <laughs> looking at an underage girl. Like, <laughs> oh, no, yeah, that's true. That's I mean, it's grown. called Cradle of Love. That's yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, so it's like oh, you into know what? the night. I don't know what that. Th- I thought you know she's just eighteen years old. I think that's how the sixteen years old. Uh, okay, no, so. I think that's uh, no. I, I'm trying to change those lyrics, uh, Bruce. We're gonna any final thoughts from from you, Bruce? <laughs> no, I let you guys just finish all that stuff. <laughs> okay, we're gonna you're gonna let us just uh, keep on going. Okay, the final thoughts. Uh, no, nothing from Bruce. Eric, you're yeah. good. With, and uh, this is somehow still up on the merch store. So okay. check that out. And what, like. I can't see it. What is it again? That's the something blood or something bucket it's of blood? A, it's a script poster of an of, uh, uh, adaptation oh, oh. I wrote of I Am Legend. Oh, very good. Very yeah. good. You know what? Findyourfilmpodcast.com. Go check it out. That is our merch store. And that's it. And before we go, it, Bruce, you want to say something really wise about what the people saw? No. <laughs> I'm just saying, Eric needs to now make a lyric poster of Rock the Cradle of Love just for you. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Without further ado. Oh, and by the way, after I say Here's Claire and you hear your Here's Claire, if you want to hear very just a two-minute just summary on the ending of What the People Saw, please check it out. Okay. Until then, Here's Claire. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for joining Cinematics. Okay. Bruce, ending oh. of What the People Saw. Let's just say uh. the main character. Rick Eklund's character, you're thinking she's playing this, this kind of chess game with the kid for, throughout the entire movie. There are plot holes in this film. Like, for oh, example, yeah. there's a dog that is killed. Why does the 12-year-old kid, why does he kill a, the pet dog? There is no, what, to blame it on his stepmom? There is, the dead dog is on, in the pool. Had no idea. I, that's a plot well, they hole. they established earlier that he had killed a cat. So I think it's just supposed to be like uh, sociopathic, psychopathic behavior on his part. I think. Right. Okay, maybe. So, oh, yeah, yeah, good. So, ultimately, she goes, supposedly they have her committed. When they, that transition from when she's living in that Spanish villa to having her committed, it just felt like a weird edit where you're you're thinking, and then when she's in the, okay, so the listeners, what happens is, ultimately, she gets framed for a whole bunch of things. Finally, the husband is swayed towards the stepson to realize his wife needs some help. So he puts his wife, Elise, into a sanitarium. And for about 10 minutes, we're in that sanitarium where it's just flashbacks of just dream sequences, which is completely weird. You have her certain dream sequences of her, I think, being in bed with the son, right? While the dad is watching. Okay. What else? Do you remember any other sequences as far as that it goes? No, nah, it was just a lot of, yeah, it was it was a 70s dream sequence thing. I'm sure everyone involved was on some sort of drug. So, Okay. So the one really cool thing about this movie is at the end, she's released from the mental asylum or the sanitarium or whatever, the institution. And she goes back home with her husband and stepson and they I think they're just walking somewhere. She's walking somewhere with the stepson, right? Yep. And- and then the father is off into the distance somewhere. I forgot what the father's doing. And they start having a heart to heart. And she's ba- he's basically um, 
comes to grips that he, he that her stepson wants to kill her, but ultimately they sort of she sort of intimates like she sort of infers that she wants to be with him and yeah, join and together. Up. And yeah. team up and what is it they say something she says like or he says does dad have an insurance policy and she says something like yes yes he does <laughs> it's like and then i think they do they kiss if i recall i think yes they kiss they kiss like that's not a mark lester he, i don't think that's a body double I, if i recall i think that's no, them i don't kissing. think there's a body double in a lot of this he was 12 and she was like 29 i think when this was filmed wow so they give a real kiss and what happens is I think, oh yeah, the dog's, another dog's with them or something like that. And right. there's a car coming across down the road and she sees a dog's toy and she sees the car coming at full speed and she throws the, the, like the dog toy out into the road. The dog goes out to the road and the kid, Marcus, the kid runs after the dog and in a split second he's run over and it cuts to his bloody face on the ground and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> what happens is Elise, you think Elise and Marcus are going to be in cahoots to knock off the husband, get the insurance, live happily ever after in this sick and twisted situation, like May, December situation. But Elise turns the tables or tables turned and she kills the kid. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. So yeah. <laughs> what, what, ridiculous. You, you, did your eyes roll at the end of that movie? Oh, my eyes rolled up throughout the movie. Yeah, that that was just like, it was just another example of just, uh, what can we have happen now? Hey, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what would have been worse or better. Leave them, leave them together, plotting to kill the husband and trying to become a couple. That would have been pretty terrible. But then it was like, it was almost like that was the original ending. And they said like, and someone said, gave him a note and said, you can't do that. We have to kill the kid. The kid's evil. No one will. No one will even try to watch this movie if you don't kill the kid. They said, "Okay, right after that scene, she'll throw she'll throw a toy, and then the kid will get killed by killed by a car." The end. Okay, that works. I think this is just a shocking movie. It's one of those movies that's complete. I completely surprised me how incoherent it is, and I was just fascinated, especially with. Anyways, listeners, that's the ending of what the peepers saw, and hopefully you're here and you. Real quick, you're telling me that I missed the pedophile stuff. There, I mean, yeah, but I mean, it's not. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you, I bailed when I did. You, yeah, yeah, you, you bailed. What you bailed at the correct time, but it's just one of those movies that I just, uh, I don't know. Anyways, that's it. Thank you guys for listening to this little spoiler addendum to the end of Cinematics, and we will see you here next week.